1 p.m. on the East Coast on a Thursday. It's November 10th. This is Guy Adami. That's Dan Nathan. Carter Braxton Worth of Worth Charting will be joining us in just a few minutes. Today's episode is brought to you by FactSet, financial data and analytics, Dan, that are powered by tomorrow. And SoFi, get your money right all in one app. By the way, we had a tremendous conversation with Anthony Noto, Dan, CEO of SoFi, that will drop today. I just I love saying this. I get it, Dan. Wait, wait for it at your favorite podcast store. But I got to tell you something. I'm not going to bury the lead. The Knicks did not show up in Brooklyn last night. They were never in the game. I thought we'd get a second half run. It didn't happen. They got blown yeah. out. And let's talk about it. Kidding. Obviously, the market is the lead, Dan Nathan. Yeah, I mean, listen, guy, you say this all the time. You don't say it all the time. You say well, it every once in a while, actually, which I think is really important. I think you have a good track record doing this. You're going to say today is a day that I think you want to bookmark, right? Bookmark you want to kind of remember day. this day because this is really, listen, there have been bits of soft inflation data here, okay, that this basically kind of led investors to think that maybe the Fed could take their foot off the pedal a little bit here over the course of, let's say, the last six months or so. But today's reaction, not just in the stock market, but also in the bond market, is pretty powerful. When you put those two things together, you see here's a couple hot takes Mm -hmm. that we have over the the Twitter machine from some people that we follow quite uh, closely. You know, the Fed's messenger saying that, listen, one piece of data i'm paraphrasing here does not make a pivot is that what you would kind of uh take away from mester's comments on cnbc uh, you know this is why yes and this is how i would sort of synthesize it i'm sure behind closed doors they're thrilled that things are trending the right way but they also want to say listen let's not get ahead of ourselves you know let's continue to focus yeah. on things we want to make sure we get this under control so they're saying all the right things they're having the data gives them the latitude I think, to speak a bit more hawkish. So it's working out. And I want to be very clear. I mean, it is working out. I think their ability to vocalize and explain what they're trying to do, I think they've done a much better job over the last few months. What the market does is is what the market's going to do. But I think they've all been pretty much on the same page. So this number, softer than expected, still elevated, again, gives them a little latitude to speak as hawkish as they want to speak. That's my interpretation. Yeah. And I guess what what the bond market is saying, and what if you look at the CME FedWatch tool, you know, we have this meeting coming up in a few weeks in December here, and, and it looks like very squarely that mm-hmm. a strong likelihood of only a 50 basis point hike. And again, I mean, this is one of the reasons why, you know, if people can start seeing, you know, a slowing of the pace, we've had four consecutive 75 basis point hikes and then you get to the new year 2023 and maybe sooner or later you know the data we just have a string of softer data like this and maybe the fed can take their foot off the pedal and say they are at that point data dependent so i don't know i mean you know it's interesting guy when you think about this where my trepidation about the broader market into year end was that and and you've been saying that we 4100 could be easily in the cards here um you know was how poorly mega cap tech Mm -hmm. has acted over the last few weeks we saw a bunch of uh, reports and guidance that sent these stocks lower all but apple but then obviously apple filled in its entire 
upwards earning gap. So it moved lower and made a new low here. And so when you think about, you know, the NASDAQ 100, or we like to look at the QQQ, how close it was at its lows yesterday to the recent lows in the cycle, you know, there's a lot of room to run. And, and as market call viewers know here, I've been picking at some of these stocks on these gaps lower. I bought some Meta, I bought some Amazon, I bought some PayPal, I bought some uh, Google, um, you know, but these are going to be trades here because I really, I don't know about you guys, I don't have a ton of confidence that we're out of the woods as it relates to earnings revisions because the headline today this morning is that amazon led by its ceo andy jazzy who's only been in the seat for a little more than a year is single-handedly overseeing a cost reduction pin so a lot of these companies are taking this very serious meta had that announcement about jobs cut earlier in the week i just don't think we're out of the woods yet no and i apologize for the talk so i'll say this so this is the problem that the federal reserve is going to have in my in my opinion again what you're seeing today and we'll talk about this obviously the dollars backing up something that you thought would happen yeah. rates are coming in something you thought would happen which in on the margin are good things. The problem is the commodity market will take its cues from that and it's going to commodities will get back on their horse, which will then elevate inflation and we'll be right back in this. So you're going to have this cycle for a period of time, I think, where you get good data, the market behaves like it should. In other words, the stock yeah. market goes higher, yields go lower, dollar goes lower, but then commodities get back on the horse, which fuels inflation, which requires them to but do more and maybe. more. So that's Maybe. where we are right now, I but think. But don't the you think it's machine. interesting, Guy, that you know crude oil is up less than 1% today? Mm -hmm. You know, Two days ago, <clears throat> we detailed a bearish trade idea in the XLE and the options market that I put on. Um, you know, The XLE massively underperforming you know, the broad market. Um, so you know, to me, when I look at this, there's a chance that maybe crude doesn't get going in some of these yep. other commodities. And maybe you'll see a rotation out of energy stocks. And, you know, so... I don't know. And I also think it's interesting that, you know, this midterm ended up being much closer than I think anybody thought. And, you know, I kind of came up with that little F MAGA, the Facebook, Microsoft, Apple, Google and Amazon, because to me, for the last few years, that was the stock market. The direction of them, you know what I mean, was the key. When you look at today, the outperformance, you look at the size of the market caps of these companies and the performance that they're having. On a week, again, where I think a lot of voters in this country basically said F MAGA. So I'm just going to tie that little bow on, on that one there, guy. Nicely done. So this is what I'll say. Did their businesses change in the last 24 hours? Absolutely not. And to your point, are you going to see earnings revisions because the stock market's going higher today? No. Again, the problems that the market's been facing haven't gone away. Uh, this print helped assuage some of the concerns, some of the inflation concerns, but the slowdown concerns are still there because, quite frankly, companies are telling you that things yeah. are slowing down and they're telling you that they're starting to lay people off and they're telling you that margins are being compressed. So all those things are not bullish. Again, the stock market reaction is bullish, but that does not change help um, in impact any way earnings or earnings growth right. from here on. But, in. but, but couple things here, and I'd say this, okay? So let's just talk about some geopolitical headlines that could help earnings, okay? Mm -hmm. That would cause yields to go lower, would cause the dollar to look, go lower. Um, you know, so you saw this headline that Biden's going to be meeting with President Xi um, in Indonesia next week. Okay, 
that's potentially a really good sign for easing of sort of tensions, right? You saw that the Russians are pulling back from some areas in Ukraine, right? So maybe there's a potential for some sort of easing in that situation. So, you know, with when you think about where we were a year ago at this time, we were worried about the Fed battling inflation. We were worried about the Russians invading Ukraine and disrupting supply chains. We were worried about zero COVID at China. You know what I mean? Like there's the potential yeah. that we could get into 2023 and maybe the world looks kind of less dramatic than it had been for the better part of this yeah. year no absolutely of course it's just absolutely that potential and there's potential you know for things you know why are the russians pulling back i mean who knows what the thought process there you know they're going to try to stage another different type of it i mean i you know i can combat those arguments but you're right those things could absolutely happen and i think a lot of people are starting to get on that bandwagon you know president Biden meeting president xi is that a good thing on the margins yeah i guess Yes. Is it going to change this deep rooted belief that the Chinese have that they want to be a global dominant power? No, probably not. But in the short term, again, it assuages some of the concerns. So I think you bring up good points. And the market is behaving exactly like that. Listen, yesterday's sell off had everything to do and it will come up at some point in the show with what was happening in the crypto world. I think it had nothing to do again with inflation, Fed, all those things. Yeah. That was just a one day's worth of noise. So. A lot of cross currents still they haven't gone away. But again, we've said it since October, I think, what was it? I think the 13th, 13, 14th, 14, 13, 14. And, yeah. And the 17th that, you know, we thought when the S&P traded down to 3491, that a potential move to 4000, maybe an overshoot to 4100 was in the cards into election. And here we are. So it's all sort of lining up the way we thought. How are you, Carter Worth? I'm all right. I'm all right. How's it going? No. So good. So you, you heard some of the things we were talking about. And, and quite frankly, I think things are shaking out in sort of the way you thought they would as well. I mean, the back and fill in currencies, the back and fill in yields, the potential for the market to go up in the short term off maybe you know an oversold condition a couple of weeks ago. So just talk to me about today's action because everybody's all hyped up on the Mountain Dew. Exactly. Well, I mean, intraday action, if, if, if we, it was 350 and we were like, wow, S&P is up seven. What just happened? It all just depends on how you close. We know that, right? And so if you were to fade, not going to happen like that. But here's the thing. Yeah, you know, I was just looking at this. So what has really happened? Nothing has happened. Mm -hmm. Ten-year yields have gone to 3.8%. I'll read this to you right here. It's just like, Ten-year yield surged to 3.8%, highest level since 2010. This was just in the news, September 26th. That is the headline. <laughs> High yield surged to 2.8%, highest in 20 years. Now it's we're at 2.8% same level, but the listen, it's a game. You can Apple's earnings were no good, Google's were no good, yep. Amazon's were no good, Meta was no good, and the stocks are up because. The cost of 10-year money is at 2.8%. And yet on September 26th, the article was they're surging to 2.8%. Right, the market's right. terrible. It's nothing. No, what listen. We know is the bounce. Yeah, you always get bounces. But the way this ends, more likely than not, is lower dollar, lower yields, and lower stocks. Right. And that's something you've been saying for a while. So let's look at your S&P chart because you have the arrows in the lines to back this entire thing up. And by the way, this is not you saying this in a vacuum today. I mean, this is what you've been saying for quite some time, and it's playing out right before our very eyes. You've actually said, and I've said it as well on different shows, that in, in the knee jerk for yields going lower, the equity markets will go higher until people figure out that they're, you know, they're going lower because things are slowing down and because 
you know, the growth is slowing, which is not a bullish thing. So here we are in S&P chart. The lines draw themselves. You have the arrows. I think this suggests that there's a potential at the end of the year to trade around 4,000, which, by the way, I mean, that's something we've been saying here for a while. Right. So I think the the hope with the very clear colors and the you see, the, of course, the vertical line for the end of year, we've got about 35 sessions left. And the best case is you were to get to that downtrend line in effect since the Jan 4 high mm-hmm. depicted in green. And or we sort of continue to muddle along here. But what is is important is this, that right now we've simply recovered to where we were last week. Right. I mean, so look at the price and the S&P, the level, and it's where we were at the high last week. We've just simply reversed losses from the preceding six, eight, 10 sessions. It, it doesn't feel to me as though it's got a lot of follow through. I think we're capped, stuck, we're contained by those green trend lines that you see. So I'm going to make a comment before we go to yields, but keep this chart up because if you look, you know, on the beginning of the chart in September of last year, you had a series of higher highs and higher lows and we were in an uptrend. It made sense. And every time we traded up to that uptrend, we came off, but we bounced again. Things changed in December where we've made a series of lower highs and lower lows. And quite frankly, we could trade up to or around 4,000 and that pattern is exactly the same, right? lower highs, and subsequently probably lower lows. So this is a good one just to have in the back of your mind because, again, in a bear market, we're seeing a bit of a rally. But that happens to the point you made earlier all the time. Let's look at yields. You brought another chart along, again, with lines so people can see them because I think that's very helpful. Uh, Yes, I think we've got maybe one or two iterations on yields. But, I mean, the point about um, levels and trend lines and other reference points is that more often than not, they serve as a compass when you're in the dark. Because let's just talk about 10-year yields. If you ask any economist, did you know that 10-year yields were going to go to 30 base points? Didn't think that. The worst single, and this is ironic, because I started in fundamentals, are the when they put out payrolls, that's the most observed number. 40 and 50 economists put in there, we think payrolls will be this. It is never right. It's true. Okay. What is right more often than not, with its own error rate, is a good chart. And this is a good chart, not because I drew it, because look at those lines. Those are mathematically parallel blue lines. And like a perfect sort of pinball machine, when rates have hit the upper and lower band, they have responded to the penny. And what we're doing now, of course, is we're backing away from that upper band. Dan Nathan is joined. Hi, guys. Um, You know, I love this chart. I I tend to look at some stuff. I mean, we've been focused on that kind of shorter term one Carter that just shows Mm -hmm. that kind of really steep uptrend from early August and the 10 year yield um, went from two seven to what, four, two, one here. Um, And if you know, this break is meaningful. And and to me, you know, if you look at that prior high that you have identified, you know, you're, you're back at three and a half. And Guy and I were talking about this yesterday, Carter on Market Call basically saying that, you know, there's a world where three and a half, three and a quarter in the 10 year yield is a really healthy thing. I mean, think back to 2018 guy when, you know, Fed chair Powell was raising interest rates a quarter point every meeting and they got to about three and a quarter or almost to 3% in Fed funds, but the 10 year was three and a quarter. I mean, without that global 
growth fear, you know, that, that might have been the, the path to normalizing rates in a way. So I think we can all agree that nobody wants to see rates crash. To your point, guys, if we saw the 10-year yield come down, it would be reflective of growth. It'd be reflective of flight to quality. There is a level that makes perfect sense, mm-hmm. especially if inflation's coming down here. So to me, I still like this, this move lower in yields, at least to 3.5% by the end of the year, and, and maybe 3%. We're going to try something on the fly here. Mickey Rat asks, and Jacob, if you can put up an XLV chart, um, what can we can we discuss the healthcare stocks? So the XLV, I think nine percent, nine and a half percent of the XLV is Johnson and Johnson, but then you have Lilly, Pfizer, Abvi, those types of names. But this has been a monster, Carter, and this is something you've talked about for a while. You know, we're probably at levels that we should fade here. August, September, we traded up to these levels. Maybe we've overextended, you know, the double bottom is well intact. But what are your thoughts here in the healthcare? Because if things are going to rotate into sort of higher valuation names, healthcare will probably take a breather. Right. So in and of itself, and just looking at that chart, and you didn't know it was XLV, it was just a white background with black bars, you'd say, um, bearish, not particularly bullish, not particularly. You'd say that's what a pair of twos is. Mm-hmm. It has no character. But what is important is the relative strength exhibited by healthcare to the market. And I continue to like healthcare as an overweight. As do I. Home Depot, you brought with us because it's the move today. And again, some of these individual stocks, we could probably rattle off 50, but Home Depot is one today where it looks like we're through that downtrend line. And who knows what it means? Maybe it means we trade up to the highs we made. I don't know, midsummer, late summer. Right. So obviously a gap, as is the case with almost all stocks today, news related, having to do with uh, government data. But the point here is two. One, it doesn't breach its June low. Market does, it doesn't. That's what relative strength is. Two, it has now moved above that downtrend line. Now, the downtrend doesn't have that much authority. All I've done is connect two points, and today we've moved above and made it a third point. But if you were to use the 150 moving average, what you'll see, if we might have this, is that mm-hmm. it's also starting to flatten. And if we don't, that's fine, too. No, we what have it. This looks like, to my eye, right, is has all the care. Okay. And so the moving average flattening typically happens at the same time when you move through the downtrend. So if you do the downtrend line in red, here they are together. Basically, this is uh, all that one would hope for, for what should be the beginning of an important bearish to bullish reversal. Yeah, here's one, Carter, and I know you're looking at Home Depot today, not just because of the charts, but again, you know, this was a knee jerk also to the move in rates. And and when you think about a group that's moving um, today, look at Home Builders. I'm looking at Toll Brothers up 11%. Lennar, let's take a look at Lennar up 13%. I see this thing, you know, breaking out above its 200-day. Obviously, the 150-day would be um, not far off of that. This looks like a really constructive chart. It just made a new like six-month high today. It's pulled back a little bit. Is this the sort of continuation move that you'd like here? And again, I've heard you say uh, numerous times over the last few weeks when you've looked at some charts that look bullish to you, the whole idea that in this last downdraft, they did not make new lows. This has to figure into that thinking too. Right. So it it has almost all aggregates and indices and asset class have their June low. So did crypto, Bitcoin. And then most things went back and revisited those lows. Some made new lows, some didn't. This didn't. And and the housing in general has not. And so this is very similar to Home Depot. Um, I'd want to be on the long side, not the short side. So look at a dollar chart, Carter, because, you know, Dan's had a 
He's been sticking with this, and it's proven to be correct. You've made comments about this. You drew that. By the way, that arrow was drawn. I know we saw this chart a couple of weeks ago, and you suggested it's probably going to exhaust itself. The same conversation we had back in June that we said we're in an uptrend, but the dollar will exhaust itself. We'll probably trade to the lower end of the channel and then bounce. That's exactly what happened. We traded up to the top end of that channel as well, and we've come off. Difference here, though, maybe, is that now we're breaking through a channel. Thoughts here in the U.S. dollar. Right. So we put out a note to clients actually uh, on Monday saying that we're going to approach the lower band, but not hold. We think it will break through. And that is because it's the equal and opposite. Notice how we slightly broke through to the upside, mm -hmm. um, where that last arrow was drawn when the first judge was made. You're, you're likely, just as you overshot there, you're likely to undershoot. And so that undershoot is underway. The only reference point that matters now, and I think we have it on, on here, is the 150-day moving average. And so there they are together, and I think we have it with just the 150-day to make it very clean. And that's where I will be uh, flipping around mm -hmm. the dollar short trade and at least covering the short and then making the decision to either play for a bounce or not. Yeah. If, if these guys can pull up the UUP, the ETF that tracks the, the U.S. dollar index, and again, we've talked about this a lot, 50% of the weight of that ETF is the euro. We know why the euro has been so weak. And again, I, I do think it's interesting to have the break um, of this trend. You know, if you look at this thing, I mean, I'm really, I, I guess from the get-go, I've been saying I've been playing for a move back to 28, and I think that gets, you know, below that uptrend, but, but really kind of, um, you know, does the job. It gets back to a break level. So in my mind, that's where um, I'd be taking um, that bearish trade-off in the UUP. Guys, I got to give you guys both props here. Um, Carter, you had a note, I think earlier this week or maybe late last week on gold miners. Um, guy, you've been talking about, I think you said it on Market Call, there's ever a time for gold to hold. And you were looking at the GLD. Um, it's right here. Are you guys a little bit surprised by today's uh, continuation? You know, given what we're seeing now, I get it. It maybe is just dollar related here, but it seems like, is there a need to run out and buy gold? It's forget the chart. You understand what I'm saying? Given what we're seeing across, you know, risk asset markets right here. Uh, Guy, why don't you go first? And then I, is there a need to buy it? No, because every time you've done it on moves like this, you've been you have not been rewarded. But I will say this: this I know to be factual. Central banks continue to be net buyers of gold. It makes sense that gold is rallying here. One, technically, off that really little short-term double bottom that we flagged, and B, because if you think about rates coming down, the headwind of a stronger dollar seems to be abating. And again, inflation's a problem, but if the Fed were to back away, it opens the door for gold to go higher. So, and coupled with that, the fact that crypto seemingly is blowing up before our very eyes, you add all those things into the mix, and it comes out for a pretty bullish equation for gold. So, I don't think you're going to miss it to the upside, Dan, but I think you definitely want to stay with it, Carter. Right. So it's it's ever thus with the with the circumstance of who one is in the market and what your timeframes are. So, just looking at this. Um, chart. Well, here's a here's a chart with some nice lines. Uh, I I did draw them, but uh, th forget the fact that I drew them. They're they're kind of tell the story. Is that a downtrend? It has multiple touches. Yes. Have we broken above the downtrend? Yes. Is it the setup of a triple bottom, which is to say, it was not making new lows? But mm -hmm. here is the issue, and this is it's what your time frame is. Do we chase something with new money right now? We'll take a look at the next chart. 
we're getting awful mm-hmm. close to 100. It's the reciprocal of the dollar. The dollar is getting close to 150 average having sold off, meaning this is very encouraging. Ultimately, I think gold, because I think they're going to start doing QE 990. <laughs> That's what this is saying, of course, because we are going to go into recession. But independent of that, it's a tough chase here. And so this is in a perfect world where, to, to speak to derivatives. I would stay long and sell calls. Yeah. Hey, hey, Guy, you know, so that's a really important point here. You've been saying that, you know, if you saw a backup in yields, especially in the 10 year, that would suggest that economic activity is weakening here. And will you take the, the same thought away as that Carter just did, is that a continuation of the moving gold is greater confidence that the Fed is going to go from the aggressive tightening to possibly aggressive loose monetary policy to and- kind of be more accommodative, I guess, if we do have a weaker economy. Well, I mean, Danny Moses thinks that's going to happen as well. And there are a lot of people that were talking about that in the spring of this year, the potential for it to happen in the spring of next year. I hope they don't do it um, because just the problems that we are trying to combat now will just come back in spades. But what will happen if they do? Well, that dollar that's now challenging that 150-day moving average will break through it to the downside. And gold, which is challenging the 150 on the upside, will break through. And all those things will come back in spades. By the way, you mentioned A Perfect World, Dan. I know you don't want me to do this, but great (laughs) Kevin Costner movie. Oh, yeah. Clint Eastwood. And the guy from um, the the President movie. Remember that? The West Wing. The guy, uh, Whitmore. Whit- oh yeah, Bradley Whitmore. Brad Whitmore. Yeah. That guy. I got to tell you, I don't he's know. He's a you political beast. The, I don't God. know if you're watching The Handmaid's Tale, but he's like a tour de force in that in that show. That Which that's one the, is he in that one? I've yeah, he's the, the he's the guy. He's uh, Lawrence. He's the, oh, the Lawrence. Yeah. He's kind of wants wants to, yeah with the scarf and all. Oh, yeah, he, yeah. No, he's just a great character. Um, a guy. I, I'm happy that you did that. I remember Lord that. Lord Dern's in that movie too. But that's that's Bruce Dern's daughter. Yeah, and she's in all the Jurassic Park movies. Anyway, I I apologize. She, she is she is in that uh, you know, the bitcoin that's the don't bury the lead dan the, this is this is your this is your bally wick you say that it, it's so funny because you know again I, th- I think there's like wars going on on twitter about the bitcoin here because all of these guys who had all the podcasts and the laser eyes and the two hundred thousand price targets and all that stuff um they're not there anymore i don't see them tweeting about it i don't i think they shut down their podcasts and everything like that and you know i I've always just found Bitcoin or crypto in general interesting because some of the smartest people that I know in tech and finance find blockchain technology really interesting. Um, and, uh, you know, again, I've never I've thought, been really skeptical of guys like Jack Dorsey who have like this religious belief in something like Bitcoin. So I haven't owned Bitcoin in years, to be honest with you. It's not something of interest to me. So when you say it's my ballywick, I find it interesting from an intellectual standpoint, but look at this. And Carter, I drew these lines. I'm just curious what you think. Again, this is not a log chart. We're going back to that last retail high in 2017 when that was just a frenzy, that retail frenzy, right? And here we are, you know, and you made this point, I think on Fast Money the other night, you know, everybody thought this kind of 19 to 20,000 range was support until there was another evident um, scenario of a Ponzi scheme. And look what happens. It drops 25% in a straight line. I guess I don't know how this doesn't go back and go to that kind of $10,000 level where it took off from in late 2020. Carter, thoughts on that? 
Yeah. Where we are now, interesting, is having undercut the June low, we've thrown back to it, right? So we've had a big ricochet over the last two sessions, and we're right back to the breakdown level, which is what the definition of overhead supply is. So how far down it can go, it can go as low as the imagination will allow. The main thing of all things, I think, is that more money has been lost in Bitcoin than made, right? Because there weren't, there weren't as many people involved on the way up. Whereas the involvement in the amount of capital since the peak has been tremendous. And that's uh, basically puts you in a hell of a situation. Dan? Yeah. Well, Guy, one, one thing I, I wanted to throw this chart. Oh, this throw was, it, yeah, this, I was going to say was, you got Bitcoin and software. I mean, two yeah, things well, look that at go this. hand in hand, apparently. Both of them topped out to the to the day, you know, 52, 52 uh, weeks ago yesterday, I guess. And when you think about this is that, you know, software, not that these things, you know, I think some investors were thinking of them in a similar capacity, the way they thought about risk and, and, and you know, they were obviously well correlated, but that, it looks like that's been diverging a little bit. And I'm just curious, thoughts there, Guy, because would you rather buy crypto here or would you rather buy a bunch of software companies that have big market caps, big valuations, traded 10 times sales. So here you go. I'm going to answer that. I'm going to, I'm going to do the answer you don't see coming. I would submit that what's going on in the crypto world now is the market basically regulating itself and it's weeding out some of the bad actors, which in the long run is probably going to be a positive thing. So this actually might be one of those inflection points in Bitcoin. So Given the choice in the would you rather game, believe it or not, I can't even believe I'm about to say this. Bitcoin. Wow. That's that's pretty fast. You know, so I know you didn't see that one. All right, coming, but, but Carter, play the game, buddy. Would you rather Bitcoin you rather? I, IGV? I, I, as a long, or I'd rather have IGV for sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right. Well, we, we, we put, we, <laughs> we Dan, did that. We played that there game. There was a guy named, um, remember this guy, Pavlov is, was his name. Yeah. I like names like that. Sounds like a hockey player. And he had a dog, right? And I guess what he would do is, you know, he'd ring a bell and then he'd give the dog whatever and got to the point where every time the bell, the dog would salivate. It's Pavlov's dog. I mean, it's, it's legendary. That's what's happened here on market calls on Thursday. All I got to do is say one freaking word, and this entire comment section. I mean, I just, I can just feel it, it lighting up. up. It blows up. All you right. You want me to what, say it? You want? You, or you want Go Carter ahead. to say it? I'll say it if you want. Go Tell ahead me who it. wants to say it, please, Dan. Say it. All right, but but here's the thing, guy. You know, FactSet, our fine sponsor, they like to clip this segment. So we just had a little fun live on that. Let's do it properly. Okay. Let's give John. Okay, Potter so the, here's the clippable dude. part. Yeah. We can't get we can't finish up a Thursday without going to the great John Butters and the tremendous work that he does. And Dan, once again, we are gonna highlight his Thursday note. So slide it, Earl. All right. Well, you know the name. It is John Butters. He is uh, the senior earnings um, analyst over there at FactSet, and he writes his earnings insight blog that drops every Friday morning, but he gives us a little bit of a sneak peek on Taste. Thursday's market call. And actually, Guy, special announcement, John Butters is going to be on market call with us, not just his note. This is going to be next Thursday, Stop people. It. So tune in if you want to see the man, the myth, and the legend. But I find John's work really interesting because, you know, over the course of each quarter, as we're thinking about what the results are going to be, he's always given us little tidbits on Thursday, but I always find the postmortems really interesting too, because sometimes we get so caught up in some of the individual names as they're reporting, it's kind of hard to see the forest from the trees, if you will. But John in his earnings insight blog this week is talking about how investors have been rewarding 
positive EPS surprises. And again, you know, we've spent a lot of time on Market Call focusing on some of the big disasters that we've seen over the last couple of weeks, whether it was Microsoft or Google or Meta um, and, uh, you know, and Amazon all had 10% gaps or so. But what his work is saying is that investors are kind of leaning into uh, to companies when they're beating. Now, he's mm-hmm. also done a lot of work on how the uh, average, um, you know, estimate has come down over the course of the quarter. So thoughts here a little bit, Guy, on we know that estimates have been coming down and the companies that are beating lowered estimates, they're seeing their stocks pop at a greater rate than we have in the past. You know, but and, and so here's, yes, all those things are great. And then this is my takeaway. The market is also punishing negative EPS surprises more than the yeah. average third quarter, which, you know what, in this environment, those companies should be punished. And what the further takeaway is in a zero interest rate environment, nobody got punished ever. And that led to complacency and laziness. Now, as rates go higher, you know, today, notwithstanding, Carter loves that word, companies are getting punished if they don't perform. And that's the way the market should operate. So everything that he put in this note makes perfect sense. And it speaks to, for the first time in a while, an efficient market, Dan. Yeah. Carter, thoughts on that? Because well, I know. That, yeah. I, so we, I think that, and we'd have to couple this with obviously the other work done by Butters, which is or, or uh, the revision analysts. Look, earnings estimates going back to the 1970s typically revise 1% a month down because that's why they call it the sell side. They're there to sell. And so they put these price targets that are not realistic. And then slowly over the course of the year, they move them lower. When you're in a down tape in a market such as this, where you drop 20 to 40%, depending on the stock, analysts start revising more aggressively down. And then, of course, the beats come in because you're beating numbers, estimates that were really revised maybe uh, too much. So the, the real question is, what is the beat rate of the pre-revised numbers? And I don't suspect it's all that good. All right. Well, listen, thanks to John Butters. Check out his blog post. It's going to drop tomorrow on FactSet's website. I got one question. Okay. This is going to be a little bit of a curveball for you guys. Rangers, Red Wings tonight. Yeah. The Rangers are in Detroit. The fathers are there. Rangers haven't been. No. Nope. Next week. Okay. On the 17th. Alibaba is reporting. Okay. Let's see if we can get throw a chart up here. Okay. Look at stock traded down to 58 on the 21st of October. I think it closed that day at 62 and change. It traded over 100 million shares since October 31st of 2020. We have seen seven or eight, 35 to 50% bounces from below. I think we saw a similar one on the 21st. I think this stock has potential to trade 90. Back to you. So here's the thing. So next week, we already talked about Biden's meeting President Xi. Okay. Mm -hmm. Who knows what the hell is going to come out of that? Okay. So you look at a stock like this. To me, this is kind of the poster child for Chinese equities, at least from an American investor's perspective. You know, I'm looking at the implied move in the options market. So the next week, okay, with a stock just below 70, the next week, 70 straddle is uh, would cost you. That's the put premium and the call premium put together. It costs you about seven bucks, seven bucks on 70. 10%. Divide that. That gets you about 10% implied move in either direction. Now, if you thought the stock was going to 90, you could buy the next week 70 call. Okay, you would only have a day or so after earnings to earn that out. So you wouldn't want to do that. But you could pay about 3%, okay, which is about 50, you know, 5%. It's about 50% of the size of that strength, uh, that straddle. What does that look like to you, Carter? When you look at that chart, you look at a 10% implied move. If you wanted to define your risk and you thought there was a couple catalysts, one being earnings, does this look like an interesting setup to you? 
I'm I'm a buyer. I'm with Guy. I'm not sure 90. That's a big jump, but uh, higher. I think it's worth it's worth the stretch, as they say. Okay. It's worth the risk. I'd bet long. All right, so we're going to check that one out. The, worth the lemon or what is they what is it? <laughs> something. We'll check the, worth charting. We'll check that out next some, week. There's a like earnings. That, we'll do a little. We'll do a little. Maybe we'll do a little. Juice is worth the squeeze. There, I don't know. I've, I hear all these dumb sayings that people. I think people say dumb things to every once in a while just to sound smart. Hey, you remember that movie? Not, and they were deciding where they go in for that last big deal. He said it's worth the stretch. We, I need the money. I like that. I love. Can I tell you something? I, I will. T- I will say this, and I know I got to get out of here because I got to go to do our podcast. But we were on the three of us were on the desk the other night with with CNBC's Melissa Lee. That was fun, 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 fun. Right, Dan. All right, Dan's done. It was. I, I mean, I, I think with. I think at this point on Thursday, Carter. Guy and I have spent way too much time together. Yes, um, it's like week. a date, and, you know, that needs cool. a little break. We, we have two it. more things to do. We have our podcast with Danny yeah. Moses that yeah. we're going to do this afternoon, yeah. and then we have Fast Money, and then we're out. Then we're, then we're 5,000. We, we may not talk for three days. That, well, that's not true. Yeah. That's it for Market Call. Rangers, Red Wings tonight. The Rangers really got to get there. Bleep together. I think they do it tonight in the Motor City. Want to thank our sponsors, Fact Set and SoFi. If you like today's show, like it and leave a comment on the video. Don't forget to subscribe to Risk Reversal Media on the YouTube. We will be back on Monday, 1 p.m. Eastern time. There's a lot of moving parts next week, so pay attention. It's the cheapest thing you can do. Later. Later.